Welcome to the Skillset Podcast, brought to you by the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina and Publishers Weekly. I'm David Lankus, Professor and Director of the School. In this episode, we talk with Clayton Copeland, who is on the faculty of the iSchool at the University of South Carolina and Director of the Laboratory for Leadership in Equity and Diversity. Copeland is a scholar, an educator, and tireless advocate for inclusion of the differently abled. In the interview, she talks about how the very idea of disability is a social construct, pointing out that we don't see folks wearing glasses as disabled. She also points out that the pandemic has shown in the most authentic way the struggles people with disabilities face every day. No access to restaurants or businesses, struggling with technology interfaces that change or were never intended for their current use, and feeling disconnected from communities. For Copeland, it all starts with empathy. Clayton Copeland, this is always one of my favorite activities, uh, which is having a conversation with you and seeing what's going on. I'll just start um, start jumping in with a little bit of uh, questions, if I may. Um, this Absolutely. semester, we're really looking looking at reaching out to communities and connecting to communities, particularly in, in times of crisis. And I know you have some experience, which we'll get into in a little bit, but could you just begin by giving folks a sense of what LEAD is? Sure, and so LEAD is our Laboratory for Leadership in Equity and Diversity, L with two, uh, LEAD with two L's, pardon me. And um, we have established this laboratory to conduct research, to provide resources, to plan programming related to providing access to information that people need. And so areas and issues of interest continually expand, but include um, the digital divide, freedom to read, information access policies, access for people, with disabilities, or my word preference, differing abilities, uh, electronic web and mobile accessibility, inclusion and diversity policies, pre-service and continuing education, and that's something that we continually offer. Um, also as a consulting service to libraries around the nation and internationally. We also focus on universal access meaning equitable access for all, regardless of labels that society may prescribe to certain groups. Um, and we also focus on skills development and job training for folks. So all the way around looking at equity and diversity and how equity is provided through access. So, you know, it's 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 interesting because oftentimes um, one of the themes that you get when you talk about reaching out to community and access community in general, not just in these times that we live in, is that there are a lot of invisible communities that libraries serve, um, either because they don't feel a connection to the library, they don't use the library for one reason or another, or, and this is, I think, where where you have been a great advocate, they are unable to use the library. And uh, and that in their invisible nature isn't because they don't have need or they don't have want or they don't have something to offer the library, but there isn't a connection that goes on. Can you talk a little bit about how we make that invisible community a little more visible? 
Well, I think that there are a number of approaches to creating that visibility. And I think first and foremost would be seeing people as people first. So rather than having our socially prescribed labels precede an individual, so person with a dis disability, um, that may in, in some instances create feelings of anxiety or nervousness or I don't want to say or do the wrong thing. So um, I think when we take, acknowledge the label and some of the needs that may come with a particular label, but also take the time to value the person and put the person first and then say, oh, this is one characteristic of that individual but I'm looking at a person holistically and how I can make that person feel welcome, feel wanted, and provide an environment that is inclusive because it is accessible to someone. And I think that one of the opportunities that we have is through uh, using an approach of universal access and design. Now, the term universal design originated in the field of architecture to indicate um, accessibility for all populations. So some common examples of universal design and access in the built environment or the physical environment uh, when this was introduced by architect Ronald Mace was things like curb cuts and levered door handles as opposed to knobs. And those things are helpful not only to a certain demographic, people with disabilities, but can be very helpful to caregivers with strollers in the instance of curb cuts, or in our case, uh, librarians with book cards or someone using a bicycle to navigate around a community. And so thinking about how we can apply universal access and design and moving away from this mental process of we're providing something for a specific demographic to we're making changes and inclusive action that make a difference for every single person who uses our libraries. And we make it possible through those same strategies and practices to include everyone. So bringing those who have historically been non-users in our communities into our libraries, whether it's physically or virtually, um, so that they have that access and that connection with community. I think you're right that we have such an unprecedented opportunity as librarians to take action and to make a difference in our community. And we can approach someone as friend, as colleague, as information specialist, as advocate, as ally. Um, and so again, thinking about people first and 
the way I was raised is, you know, thinking about how treating others, how we would want to be treated if we were in a particular circumstance. In the case of disability, we have in the United States alone, um, 10,000 people a day turning age 65. According to whether you consult the U.S. Census Bureau or you consult um, this, the CDC, we have somewhere between one in five and one in four individuals who have a characteristic that is labeled as a disability. Mm. Um, and we also have a phenomenon of temporarily able-bodiedness meaning that very frequently, in fact, more often than not, across the life spectrum, either on a temporary or a permanent basis, someone is going to experience a quality that may be labeled as a disability. And those may be visible or they may be invisible. Um, things like with our veterans populations, post-traumatic stress, and um, people with learning differences, and other neurodiversities. And just like we have the power to deconstruct the onus of disability with something that might be very visible, like we overcome visual challenges with glasses or contact lenses, we can do that with any diversity that someone experiences by being inclusive and by remembering the person first. And I think the number one thing we can do, if nobody remembers anything else I say today, is always to value the individual and to realize that our lived experiences give us knowledge like no other. So if we're looking at approaching someone, realizing that that person has their lived experiences and they know their needs best of all. Yeah, because so, uh, yeah, we were talking about the community, the community has knowledge. It's not just this sort of empty bucket that we're putting information into. One, you know, I have to say, one of the reasons I love my job are the conversations we have, and the one that that has sparked and stuck with me is actually about the glasses, as someone who has very thick glasses. Um, no one looks at, at me wearing glasses and says, "Oh, that poor Dave, disabled Dave." That this whole raft of sort of social construct that comes with the notion of someone of what a disability is. I think when we talk about Americans with Disability Act, when you talk about making the web accessible, when you talk about physical, everyone sort of looks at, oh well, there's the majority and then there's this little fringe that we have to go extra for. When in fact what's really going on is we on a regular basis define what is a disability, what isn't a disability. That's a shifting term. And your point is stop yeah. it. Just just get back to what we want you know, treating everyone as everyone and ensuring that they can participate. Yes, I absolutely. I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but. <laughs> I, 
I think that that was a very eloquent summary. Um, and I think it's like one of our alums said, uh, Dr. Lankis, several years ago, Caitlin Scott. And I asked the class, so what is universal design and what is universal access for you? What does it mean for you as you're joining our profession? And Caitlin said, which is now the tagline for LEAD, everyone, everywhere, every time. And I think that is our challenge. That is our call to action in our communities is to make sure that we are accessible to everyone, everywhere, every time. And it doesn't mean that we have perfection. It means that we are engaged, that we care, that we truly listen and value what our communities are telling us that they need and then being responsive to that and allowing their voices to be a part of who we become and what we become and how we get there. Yeah, because there's been a few times where um, it becomes, when you look at the moment and everyone uses the phrase unprecedented and uses, you know, never happened before and out of the blue and completely. And yet, if you think about a lot of what libraries are doing, what publishers are, are struggling with, um, which is switching to online, switching to how do people communicate effectively through screens or can they? dealing with the stress of having to deal with all this adaptive technology or having technology shift really quickly. All of these things, when I'm thinking about in K-12 schools, about, you know, who's going, you know, caregiving and who provides the caregiving and talking about um, who needs more attention and who needs the physical contact and not. All of these conversations are conversations that have been ongoing in the the community of universal access in the community of differently abled people you know this is something that that a huge as you say potentially one to five to one in four people have at some point dealt with in their life but we put it in this category of mm -hmm. you know difference when in fact it's the same issues and same problems in some ways if we we should have been we should be asking these questions before a pandemic, <laughs> we're asking them during. And, and you know, as I've said to you, and we had this conversation within the, the week of the pandemic really coming um, to full force, and, and that was everybody saying the pandemic is unprecedented, and it is, but there's an unprecedented opportunity because we also have, I think, incredible new levels of awareness around needs. And very suddenly with the transition of our programs and services and things, we're being forced, as it were, and I hate to use that word. It makes me sad to have to use that word. But in a sense, that is what has happened. We've been forced to look at things from another perspective. There's not a choice to, as it were, and there never should be a choice, 
but there cannot be a tendency to shove something under the rug and we'll, we'll deal with that later as an optional accommodation, but rather this has to happen and it has to happen now. Hmm. You know, this year is the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And so I think it's a very important time to look at where we've been, where we are, and, and where we need to go moving forward with specific, definable, measurable action steps in our communities, in our libraries, so that we can affect the change and move it from something we talk about to something we actively do and something that is so second nature it's just like any other activity we might undertake as a part of our libraries or services. Give, give us a sense, so um, give us a sense of the 30,000 foot view. If I want my library to be more respectful, responsive and inclusive, mm -hmm. um, particularly around the idea of, of um, say, let's say physical uh, differences first. I know that, that there's a spectrum, but I'm just starting with that for a moment, okay. if I may. Where do I start? I think we start with exactly what we're doing today, building a level of awareness that these challenges exist and then building a plan very deliberately that addresses our newfound awareness. And that includes including the voices of people who have lived experiences um, and from that 30,000 foot view changing it and I'm going to use my southernisms here um, to say not um, what can I do to help you um, or can I help you because I'll be honest my little southern self if somebody says can I help I'll say more than likely mm, thanks I got it <laughs> but if somebody changes that just with one word, how can I help? How can I help? I know that you know your needs best of all. And so what do you need and how can we best serve you? And avoiding this onus that or assumption that the perspective of one is the perspective of all within a group because everybody is an individual and everybody has individual needs and um, different ways of approaching things and so I think there again approaching this not with fear or apprehension um, but with wow, this is an opportunity to learn something I didn't know before, to make a difference for someone. So from that 30,000 foot view, it starts with one-to-one -one interactions, whether those are physical or virtual, but truly caring and asking what people need. Next step would be, um, using that information to inform our policies and our practices and using it as guidelines for how we conduct ourselves 
in our libraries, whether that's through any interaction we have. We'll return to our interview in just a moment. First, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor for the podcast, the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina. Interested in librarianship? Then join a nationally ranked program with over a quarter century of experience educating leaders in the field online. From the State Library of Vermont to San Francisco to the Business Library of Oxford University, our graduates lead in schools, cities, and states around the U.S. and beyond. Now, let's get back to our interview. I want to see if I can turn something on its head for a moment about approaching people uh, mm-hmm. and asking, how can we help? It, it How does the library approach um, different communities asking for their help? Right? I mean, it, this is... It's interesting. We were having a conversation before with Kelvin Watson, and we we're talking about seeking more um, um, racial diversity in the in librarian pool. And he's like, "Well, when you're walking by black librarians, when you're walking by Latino librarians, how about asking them how can I do a better job? Who would be good for this job, et cetera?" And I think sometimes we are afraid to ask um, people who are different than us or we're afraid to burden people because we always have this attitude of how I can help you. When in fact, many times the library really needs to ask the question, needs to make the statement, we need help. We need help in design. We need help in your voice. We need help in your participation. How, you know, you are not only of uh, the differently able community, but you clearly reach out on a regular basis. You advocate, how can someone find and approach that community? You know, is, is there a wrong way to do that? Is there a right way to do that? Well, I'm just going to tell you that I grew up in a very rural community. I'm the granddaughter of a farmer and the daughter of a veterinarian. And I realized that I used a walker for ambulatory purposes. Um, but at age three, my mom and I were walking along the street and this gentleman very innocently stopped my mom and said, what's wrong with her? Mm. And my mom said, oh, Clayton, I think this gentleman might be asking about your walker. Why don't you tell him about it? (laughs) And she said she very quietly walked just a few steps away and watched from afar as I bent his ear for the next 30 (laughs) minutes. Explaining that I had been born three months premature and so on and 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 because of a lack of balance, use the walker and so on and so forth. And then telling him that you know I had my basket to carry my baby dolls in and everything all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that I, aside from that awareness of yes, I use a walker, I've always been Clayton first. And it's very important. We as librarians need to treat people simply as humans, not the girl with the walker, Mm -hmm. but Clayton. And so when we can do that, when we can build relationships that allow us to know a person and to then be able to ask, And avoiding, I think, also this um, tendency, as it were, to 
ask someone to be the spokesperson mm. for a certain population or group of people. But just to say, I really value your perspectives. Is there something we could be doing differently? Um, what are we doing well? Because that can be as informative as what are we doing wrong? Right. <laughs> um, and so that I think is is important. Also in terms of the broader community and reaching those that we have not built relationships with yet, uh, reaching out through now all of our various technologies. And we have an opportunity for community partnerships with organizations and groups that are serving, say for example, people with disabilities. And so reaching out to them and asking them to seek volunteers to come and talk with us and share with us. Hmm. Uh, and because that can be an, a very important connection. For example, in South Carolina, we have ABLE South Carolina, which is an independent living organization based in Columbia, but serves people all around the state. And so reaching out to groups like that to also be our partners in understanding um, from people who are serving certain groups on a daily basis, what they are doing and what some best practices can be, can also be very important. But they can also be uh, play a very important role in opening that door to some individuals and, and at welcoming them into our libraries by first reaching out to organizations and people with whom they already have established rapport and trusting relationships. You know, it, it's, it's, we're in the midst of a pandemic and this changes things. Uh, and however, Unfortunately, crises happen all the time and libraries have to respond to them. One of the things we're seeing is increasingly libraries are playing a role in response to crisis. Uh, I heard one group um, refer to librarians as the second responders. You know, first responders, their second responders are support and make sure it happens. But we've seen in hurricanes where libraries become a check-in point, become the one place of power to recharge the cell phone, which is the mechanism to stay informed, we've seen them use physical facilities for, for all sorts of things, FEMA setting up in libraries. You have done, uh, you and, and through LEAD and through the school, you've done a significant amount of research about how libraries respond in times of crisis and specifically in terms of um, supporting and making sure that, that that response is global and universal. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, and I think there again, um, looking for what is needed in our communities and building that response. So in, in much the same way if we see that water is needed or basic um, things for daily living, thinking about how our libraries can also take that opportunity to um, give that sense that libraries and librarians care. We're here, of course, for the purposes in our missions and vision statements, but we're also here as members of a community, reaching out 
and working together. And um, with any population, thinking about how we come together in a time of crisis, but more importantly, how we keep that consistent when the emergent crisis has passed, right? How do we have this same sense of caring and of service moving beyond a crisis or a pandemic to what we do every day? And I think my greatest hope for libraries is to say that we are community organizations. We are service organizations. I'm going to take you on a little aside again, but when I was in kindergarten, the uh, kindergarten teacher very innocently had, we had a silly Sam that went around the border of our classroom and people were acknowledged for good deeds. Um, throughout the day, it was, you know, one of those modeling things with two and three year olds. Well, there was part of Silly Sam that said, Leanne helps Clayton, meaning that Leanne had, had likely reached a book for me on a shelf or something like that. And my mom said, I think that should change to Clayton and Leanne help each other mm. because through Leanne helping Clayton, she is learning that not everybody has the same abilities. We all have abilities. They're just different. And wanting to put the value in both individuals. So again, in our communities, how do we say that? How do we transition to helping one another and looking at that as an exchange rather than as a situation where there's a hierarchy, mm. if you would. Can you give examples, because um, I know that you have some fabulous examples where students working in libraries and you consulting and working with libraries. I know the State Library here in South Carolina has done um, a lot of outreach um, to try and really make libraries more universal in their service and, and in their offerings. Can you give us some, some examples that really stand out to you as exemplars uh, folks should be looking at? Oh, absolutely. And I would say that an exemplar can be someone who has made a new accomplishment for the first time. And so it may be that an exemplar is someone who for the first time introduces accessible signage into their library system and recognizes, for example, using uh, sans serif fonts as a matter of readability for all. Um, something that small can be an exemplar because it is huge right. for the people that it makes a difference for. I'm continually impressed with our students and all the work that they are doing. Um, we do have students who, as a result of our Introduction to Information Technologies course, have designed and implemented universally accessible computer workstations in libraries. 
and some of those are mobile workstations um, that can go out into the community and serve those in need. And so it's, it's a matter of being very forward thinking and realizing that the investments we make are making a difference for every single patron. So the universally accessible workstation doesn't just serve those with disabilities, but can make a difference for people that have all kinds of characteristics that maybe just aren't labeled as, as disabilities. So that stands out in my mind. Our students doing service-based learning and working in their communities to affect change. So again, we have numerous libraries around the country now that have implemented those universally accessible computer workstations. We have um, people working in the field now who are webmasters for their libraries and they are working to ensure that websites and other technologies are, are accessible to all users. We also have this semester a group of students partnering with Charleston County Public Library to um, conduct community analyses and then literacy assessments. And from those literacy assessments, design action plans that are responsive to identified needs in the community. But what's so dynamic is that these libraries are saying, yes, we want to learn. We want to make a difference. We want to be accessible in our communities. And this is what we can do. And we want to be of service to our students because we realize they are the future of the profession. The state of South Carolina has a state librarian, um, Lisa Aiken, who is also one of our alums. And um, she has very uh, graciously said that it was a direct result of the education she received regarding accessibility and universal access and design that she established the very first position in the nation for a state library with an inclusive services consultant. So that really stands out in my mind because now that inclusive services consultant empowers the libraries around the state of South Carolina and then more broadly through associations with other state libraries. So as you mentioned, it's been 30 years since uh, the American Disability Act. Um, we still have ways to go just to meet, I believe, the requirements of that act, if nothing else. Um, are you optimistic? Are we do, are we moving in a better way to be more inclusive in this way? Um, it's a rather generic question, I realize, but. I think I'm an eternal optimist. I've <laughs> always been, always, always, always been very hopeful. Yes, I think we have made incredible inroads. Do I acknowledge that we have a long way to go? Sure. But it's also like a professor of mine in undergraduate, my undergraduate program said, how do you eat an elephant? That seems <laughs> overwhelming even at the beginning of the semester. Well, you do it 
one bite at a time. And so I have this incredible steadfast belief that with each of us working together and taking one step at a time and making differences for one person at a time, we will reach higher levels of equity and accessibility. Yes. So I'm very hopeful for that. So it's what do we everybody working together? Yeah. What do we need to be teaching our students? What do we need to be um, you know, informing the brand new librarian out there as well as the librarian director who's been out there with a 40 year career? Uh, what are those what are those how do we put a curriculum around this, if you will? Well, I think the some of the first things we can do and and at risk of repeating myself, putting the person first and avoiding assumptions. You know, the very first day we don't learn something new is a terrible, horrible, very bad, no good day. <laughs> the children's book. And so I think what we need to be educating our students about, sure, there are specifics around laws and legislation and policies and best practices and audits of our collections as well as our physical facilities for accessibility. But I think the number one thing we teach our students is to continue being a student, to be a lifelong student, to continue learning, to continue seeking ways that they can make a difference. It just takes a matter of looking. And sometimes it's a matter of perspective, you know. Um, I love this story that one of my undergraduate professors told in a sociology class. This day she was in a big hurry at the gym and the elevator was one of those that has doors on either side. Mm. But she stood for a full two or three minutes trying to beat on the door of the elevator that wouldn't open not realizing that the other side of the elevator had opened. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so looking and being aware and seeking those opportunities, looking through different lenses and perspectives is always very important. And no perspective is more or less important than another. Well, and this isn't just a rhetorical question about developing curricula, right? I mean, you're currently engaged in a project around a certificate. Yes, we are looking and exploring the idea of um, a diversity certificate that will allow students to specialize and devote part of their time um, either in the MLIS program or perhaps as a post MLIS certificate around these ideas of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And specifically, we're looking at ability and disability and some things that we can offer our students. And so 
some of the specific courses that we're looking at at this point include our planning library facilities course which is already on the the books but in that course um, students will be conducting a community analysis and then as a result of that as well as audits of physical and virtual library spaces um, putting together building programs that are responsive to community needs whether that's through a, a very small renovation project or an entire new build. Hmm. Um, we also have the literacy class and talking about the concept of multiple literacies and multimodal learning and how we can be responsive to given community needs in multiple literacies beyond reading and writing to technology literacy and media literacy and so on and so forth. Also looking at um, programming and services for people with disabilities where again our students are going in and making assessments of library systems and then providing responsive programs and services that break down some of the identified barriers. So I just want to thank you briefly and I want to, you know, for the listeners, if you are interested in becoming better stewards of the community and more connected with all of your community, I want to highly recommend both Clayton and, and LEAD um, as, a, as a good resource to reach out to uh, and make available um, and to, to grow empathy, which I hear a lot, you know, to, to increase our empathy, because I think next time you get frustrated because the Zoom, the Zoom call has frozen, next time you get frustrated because you can't go out to go shopping, to go get to this resource, to go hang out in an area, et cetera, you are experiencing what millions of Americans experience every day, you know, in the middle of a normal day. And that it's that empathy that we, that's the, uh, what I hear is the starting point to real concrete steps about how we reach out to the brilliant parts of our community that all, all too often um, we have not been serving because we have constructed this artificial definition of who is disabled and who is not. So thank you very much, Dr. Clayton Copeland. This has been fascinating. And once again, I, I always enjoy to have this conversation. Any last thoughts before we, we close down? Because you know, I stuck with my questions, but. Well, I'll say this. As, as you and I discussed um, several months ago amidst the, the beginning of the pandemic, and I said to you, Dave, the, the realities that we're all facing on a very temporary basis are realities of people with disabilities and other diversities every single day. So I ask all of us to think of everyone as able people are differently able there is not a single individual on the planet who is not differently able in some way whether we label that as a disability or just a difference and so as we look at differences looking at all differences as abilities and as ways that we can use those abilities to make differences in our community.
Wonderful final words. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you.